1: 6.30 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.
2: At center ice, it's Connor McDavid. He's got Darrell Walker, and he's got some room down the sidelines. McDavid to Everly, dishes off.
1: To the 30, 20, 10, 5. Score! Touchdown, Eskimos! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad.
2: The right, full month of November is over for the Edmonton Oilers. They win only five times in 15 games. December begins tomorrow for them with a game against the Winnipeg Jets. We'll have it for you on 6.30, Chet, 4.30 for the faceoff Show, 6 o'clock for the Drop of the Puck. Plenty of hockey talk tonight, and you will hear from the Grey Cup MVP from one of the most unlikely Grey Cups ever. Ottawa Red Blacks quarterback Henry Burris on the show later on tonight. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Three games in the NHL tonight. We'll keep you updated on those. None of them have started yet. The Calgary Flames are in action hosting the Maple Leafs who knocked off the Oilers 4-2 at Rogers Place last night. And the Oilers' power play, one of, I think, many concerns for the team, but it's where we will begin our focus tonight. The Oilers' power play 0 for its last 12. 12, Twelve power plays in the last three games. They didn't get a single win. Here's winger Patrick Maroon with an interesting summary of what the problem is with the man advantage.
0: We need to be a shooting power play. We're not shooting enough. And if we do shoot it, it's, it's, we wait, we wait, and then we shoot. Uh, net, presence, net, net presence has to be there. You know, we got big guys again in front of the mat, including myself. Uh, I think once we shoot there, guys are going to start going there. And we're not shooting enough, I don't think. We're not we're not the second unit hasn't been good enough. You know, we're supposed to pick up the first unit and we haven't been good enough either, so uh, we just need to get back to just back to the basics is which is shooting the puck and hopefully one goes off the guys in the front spot or stick, whatever we can, because uh, we need it the second unit needs to be a lot sharper. We can't always rely on the first unit.
2: Well, I think both units have to be a lot sharper, and I certainly think they need to shoot the puck and do it quickly and try to create a little havoc in front of the net. To talk about that, pleased to welcome our weekly guest, former NHL goaltender now with the NHL on Rogers. It's our old buddy, Kelly Rudy. Kelly, welcome back to the show. How are you
1: doing? Fantastic. Reed, you know, uh, my wife and I are just driving to have dinner with our uh, some friends. I have the night off, a rare night off. I've been gone for about 11 days, and we just dropped by. I know some of your uh, listeners will like this. We just dropped by our oldest daughter's place, and her and her husband, uh, are, it's the first day with their little puppy, so we had to stop by for half an hour and, and get uh, acquainted with their, their brand-new addition to their family, and it was just wonderful seeing this cute little puppy.
2: I hope they have hardwood. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, they do, my friend.
2: Okay, good. It'll be the the messes will be a little bit uh, easier to clean. Uh, a bit of a mess here for the Oilers over the last three games, Kelly. And you know, you have always said when you were an NHL goaltender, y- you would talk about anything with the media, but you would never comment on your own team's power play because yeah. you know you weren't a part of that. But but as a commentator and as a former goaltender, uh, I'm always eager to get your reaction and. Uh, to me, Patrick Maroon said it best, they have to be a shooting power play, they're spending too much time passing the puck and waiting, and I'm just wondering, as a, as a former goaltender, what a, a problems a shooting power play, where you never knew when or where it was coming from, what kind of problems that presented?
1: Well, lots of thoughts with what you're talking about, so... Um... I always had lots of opinions about the power play, I just never shared it with my teammates about what we were doing, because like you said, I wasn't a part of it, and I didn't want to be disruptive or come across as though I was a know-it-all or anything, Uh, but shooting power play, you know, this game has changed so much in the last hundred years, but the one thing that will never ever change, I don't think, is that you have to shoot often on the power play, and exactly what maroon was saying you need guys in front you need guys that are have the ability on the point to get pucks through all these different things but it's a very very simple power, power play i've always said when you're struggling let's just get pucks back to the point and find ways to get to guys traffic in front and then the pucks through and the other thing is and i know you mentioned this in your text to me earlier in the day it's extremely important if uh, on your power play you have two things you have one guy that has an absolute uh, hammer, so he can drill it like a Weber or somebody similar to that, and you need a dangerous one-timer or multiple one-timers, and if you don't set up that way, it makes the goaltender's job really, really simple, because the number one thing I worry about from a goaltender's perspective, I always worry about the guy with the big shot, so that's number one. Number two, and I'd always work on this game day skates with Rob Blake and other guys like that, I would... Uh, get a feel for one-timers because that, of course, is uh, maybe one of the most dangerous plays on a power play. So those sorts of things. I don't really worry that much about the Oilers' power play struggling, though, because they're all smart guys. They've had success on it. It it just it comes and goes sometimes. And what I've always thought is that oftentimes when it starts to struggle, then you try and get too fancy. And I've always said this about uh, my teammates uh, in in, uh, Los Angeles. Unfortunately, when we started to struggle, everybody thought they were Wayne Gretzky and they were going to make the, <laughs> the high-risk pass all the time as opposed to just getting pucks to the point and putting shots at the net.
2: Well, you raised some great points. I mean, my argument is the Oilers, at least this season, it's probably the next thing on Peter Cirelli's shopping list. They're not going to get a hammer from the point. Uh, or, I mean, unless a Darnell Nurse blossoms into that, I don't I don't know yeah. if he will. Um, But certainly they've shown a very lack of willingness to one time the puck. And I mean, it's just frustrating to see the puck get moved around and they're almost slowing it down too. And if, if you're the Leafs last night or Arizona the previous two games, you're just kind of like, okay, well, I'll just go over there and, uh, okay, he yeah. can pass. I'll, I'll give them all these easy passes around the outside, but the actual lanes to the net are, are easy to seal off. And, and I guess you can do that if you don't think that anybody's ever going to all of a sudden just whip it at the net, whether it's a slap one-timer or a quick stop and almost a shot pass to put it down low.
1: Well, and the other thing uh, that... I just thought of that uh, when you think of the great power plays, they give themselves so many options. Uh, and the one that I really think is uh, makes it really dangerous for, again from a goaltender's opinion, uh, that when you work it up high to the point points, and then you decide to go maybe to the half ball and then work it down low, um, it's really important, uh, in my opinion, for the guy that's down by the goal line. He has to be on or above the goal line. He can't be below it. Sometimes you get away with it, but just from, again, thinking about it from a goalie's perspective and who's dangerous, if if the player that gets the puck down low is above the goal line, then he's dangerous to me. But if he's below the goal line, especially if the puck is below the goal line, then I rule him out of the equation. He's no longer a, a factor to me. Now the people in front of the goal line are the other four guys on the power play, but it's like he takes himself out of the play. And, and, and immediately I think of a guy like Corey Perry, why he's always been so effective on the power play. Like he and Getzlaff worked that play so well. But virtually every single time Perry gets the puck, he's above the goal line. So the goaltender has to respect him so much. And Perry's so good at knowing when to drive to the front of the net and create that sort of havoc. But if you don't have that, I've always found most power plays to be uh, less dangerous also.
2: Kelly Rudy joining us inside sports on 630 Chet at 614. You know, it's interesting, Kelly, the the power play units today, and and I will let our listeners know they can get more on some things that were said today by going to 630Chet.com slash Oilers. Um, They changed things around a little bit. Clefbaum, Nugent Hopkins, Eberly, Maroon, and Kajula were together. Sekera, McDavid, Lucic, Seidel, and Latestu were on a power play unit. So Latestu has kind of been a guy rotating in and out on the second unit, now moves up to the first unit. He got put in there last night. He did try a couple slappers from the off wing. And I, I guess the thing that I look at there as an observer, Kelly, is I say to myself, and look, people know I've I've made no secret of the fact that I've known Mark since he was playing junior B hockey in Saint Paul. So I've I've followed his yeah. career, and but I'm also thinking to myself, why does the fourth line center have to be the guy that is getting put on the power play to actually take a one timer and try to execute? what they're wanting to execute. I mean, we talk, we, we use this cliche all the time, well, send a message to this guy, send a message to the play. I mean, to me, that should send a message to some of the forwards that are clearly higher paid and more prolific scorers than Mark Latestu that the coach is saying, I'm going to put this guy on the power play because at least he will do what I'm telling you guys to do.
1: And he'll keep it really simple. So I would agree with you. They've gotten a lot of mileage uh, from Latestu. There's no question about it. And I just like the idea that you just really dummy it down, make it simple. And I'm not saying that he's a, a, a dumb player. It's just a, he, he plays a really solid, simple game. Uh, the other thing is uh, when you when you go to what's happening, I'm not sure if you uh, watched Bob Nicholson on Hockey Central today. And he was on with the gang and he yep. was talking about some of the players and he was talking about how they need more from uh, Nugent Hopkins and Eberle's really uh, gripping the stick tightly right now so you've got to try and help those guys go through this situation also and sometimes it is that spark you look at uh, the Calgary Flames a couple nights ago there on Long Island and they started the first two games the first two periods with Sean Monahan on the fourth line and that's quite a message to send and what do they do they put him back on the first line in the third period and he scored a goal which he hadn't done in ages and so maybe that's kind of the message. Hey, I'm going to take away some of your, your time where you can get your cookies, and we're going to go to somebody else that, uh, that, that deserves a chance as much as you do. So there's always signals being sent. I was always fascinated, and Reed, I, I know that you like hearing Al Arbor stories, and, and yep. I love sharing them. I was always fascinated with uh, Al Arbor when our power play would struggle, and it wasn't often because they were dynamic and they had some of the world, or best players in the world on it. But then we wouldn't use defenders. So they would be five guys scoring usually on me. It wasn't Billy Smith or anybody else they had to face. They had to face the young guys so they could light it up. And man alive, did those guys get confidence because they're whipping it around now and they're. They're, uh, they feel good about themselves. Al was always on them about doing the right thing. He didn't allow, allow them to get too fancy, though. And so I think that you look at all – a lot of it is psyche, too, for those great players. They need to feel – they need rewards to feel really good about themselves. And if they're not getting it, surprisingly enough, uh, it turns quickly and they can lose a lot of confidence fast.
2: Well, and it's been so up and down for the Oilers. That's the one thing that worries me a a little bit. I mean, they seem like a more confident and composed crew. Even three weeks ago, they got through, or a couple weeks ago, they got through that five-game losing streak and bounced back. And and now you worry a little bit because it is so tight. I mean, I know they're, what, a point out of first, but they're all, all of a sudden only four points ahead of Calgary, and the Flames... You know, it didn't start the season very well, so it is evening out uh, a little bit for sure. Kelly, uh, enjoy your night off and enjoy getting to know the new puppy for sure. We'll we'll have to do <laughs> weekly updates on that. And uh, thanks for your insight on the man advantage. Really appreciate it.
1: Okay, Reed, have a great show, bud.
2: That is Kelly Rudy checking in tonight. Former NHL goaltender with the Sharks, Kings, and Islanders, and now an analyst with the NHL. On Rogers. Uh, the last three games, yeah, I mean, the, I don't want to beat the power play to death. Because I think there are other issues. The, the, and Rob often says this when we do overtime open line. He, he, Rob doesn't get too hung up on the power play percentage or the ranking. I mean, certainly it's, it's relevant. But a lot of times you look at a power play that's 8th and one that's 14th, there might be less than a 1% difference. But he often talks about when the goals are scored. Well, let's take a look at what's happened over the last three games. The Oilers have a power play in overtime. In Arizona, clearly you score, you win the game. They have some power plays against Arizona uh, on Sunday that could have tied the game. They were down one, nothing most of the game, right? Could couldn't pull. They eventually did pull even, wasn't on a power play goal. They lost, and then last night, a, a, really an awful second period against the Toronto Maple Leafs. But they had a one minute and five second five on three when they're down three one. Not only do you not score on that opportunity, the Leafs get a goal right after they kill it off. We have a little bit of open line time before uh, Sean Bell, former Edmonton Oilers defenseman, now Nate, assistant coach, is going to join us in studio. Henry Burris and Kevin Karius coming up in the second hour of the show, 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. Inside Sports on CHED.
1: This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader 630 Chad. All right,
2: thanks for tuning in tonight at 623. And my next guest, Sean Bell, former NHL defenseman, former first-round draft pick, now helping out with the Nate Ooks. He's already in studio standing by for his 630-7 segment. So uh Jared and Jay on the line. I know you guys are regular callers, so I hate to do this to you, but, Jared, I'm going to give you about a minute and then Jay about a minute. So go ahead. Hello, Rick. Yeah, Jared, go ahead, buddy. You got about a minute tonight, okay?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to say just a quick thing about uh, the weather's power play and how it's always running through uh, Connor McDavid. And sometimes I worry about that inclusion thing of, like, all the other teammates getting involved. And, you know, you even, even look at, like, when – when the Oilers won the Stanley Cup in 1990, the first guy that Messi passed the Stanley Cup to was Dave Brown. And I just worry that everything is so focused on Connor McDavid that teammates can, don't feel as included. They just expect him that you know he's going to bring him back. The power play is going to run through him. And that it kind of can almost like break down that team atmosphere when there's so much focus on one guy. Well,
2: I hope not. I mean, if I was on a power play with Connor McDavid, I'd be, I'd, i talk to him every morning and I'd say, Connor, where do you want me to stand? And if you move to this position, where do you want me to move to? Because I, I'd, I'd want to score some goals. So I hope not, Jared. Thanks for calling, okay, buddy. Okay, bye. All right, and we also have Jay on thanks the line. Ta- hi, Jay. Yeah,
3: thanks for taking my call. Yeah, hi. Just my, my two cents. Uh, my sentiment. At the beginning of the year, I never thought that they would stay, you know, as, as high as they were. I thought they would come uh, come down a bit from the mountain. Uh, they've come down a little further. The the last week for me has been a real telltale of. Uh, I think that, like for, my my opinion is, by the end of the year, I, I think it's a 50-50 whether they make the playoffs. When you can't beat uh, Arizona twice, when you can't beat Toronto, the worry for me is it speaks to kind of an overall. A lack of discipline, some of that old oiler garbage creeping, you know, back in, and I just, I don't know, like you can't, you can't win out of one or two, a uh, three games there, and uh, you know, it just left me kind of feeling like, oh, uh, I don't know, I don't, I'm not sure these guys are actually what I thought they were, and uh, I have a feeling we'll get to the end of the year and and they'll be on the cusp of the playoffs one way or another, but they're they're not as good as I was thinking they were going to be this year, at least not as uh, what I thought early on. Yeah, before thanks. for your take on it, Reid.
2: Yeah, I'll put you on hold here, Jay. I, I think that's a fair comment. I, I mean, before the season, I, I thought they'd win 38 games and probably miss the playoffs. I, I'm, I'm still a little more optimistic about their playoff chances because no one has really taken charge of the division yet, though there are some signs that Anaheim and San Jose are doing a little better. And, and quite frankly, Calgary's coming on, but they got to pass a lot of teams. Uh, I mean, Rob Brown said last night that he thinks the Oilers are an average team. Then they, they played above average in October and they played below average in November. And now they kind of have an, an, an average record. I, I did think, I'll say this to Jay and everybody else, last night was the first time I thought to myself, oh my God, this looks like a Dallas Akins year team. And I didn't like that feeling and that, and that observation. Um, so now, I mean, look, every game's going to be a test. Can they recover tomorrow against the Winnipeg Jets? And I didn't like—I I didn't like the fact that they didn't try to establish too much against Toronto. I know Hendricks took a shot at Cadre off the face-off, but it was a very. To me, it was a game where the Oilers again tried to work their way in it and didn't try to initiate enough, and. We've seen them have that problem at other times this year. We've seen games where they haven't. We've seen games where they've come out and taken control. They didn't do enough to do that last night. Sean Bell played in the NHL. He'll give us his thoughts. He'll tell us what he's doing right now at Nate. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet.
3: your home for breaking news and expert opinion inside sports with reed wilkins on 6 30 chad
2: all right thanks for tuning in tonight oilers and jets coming up tomorrow our coverage will start at 4 30 later on on inside sports tonight You'll hear from Grey Cup MVP Henry Burris. My name is Reed Wilkins. I'm pleased to be joined in studio by former first-round draft pick, briefly an Edmonton Oiler, now an associate coach with the Nate Oakes Men's Hockey Team. It's Sean Bell. Sean, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing good. Thanks for having me.
2: All right, so fix the Oilers' power play. Go.
0: <laughs> uh, give Connor McDavid the puck. Get open.
2: <laughs> well, a caller called in and said, uh, you know, our are, are, are players going to stand back and watch... Connor? I mean I, I, I would hope not I would hope there's a recognition of several ways to work with the young man
0: Yeah like I think that you know he's obviously your most skilled player and you want to get him the puck and you want him making the plays but I think uh, for me I think I would like to see him shoot a little bit more because um, then he can add that, that threat, that element where teams think he's going to shoot and now they're going to overplay him and then now all of a sudden Lucic or Eberle or Dryseller open back door and I think he'll just add a little bit of uh, a different dynamic to their power play
2: well, Patrick Maroon today talked about that they they need to be a shooting power play. And I mean, I, I know that the whole joke is, you know, fans will go to a game and yell shoot on the power play. And all those media guys will be like, you know, I'm pretty sure the players got it under control. But it's it's to me, it's also how quick the shots get off and just I mean, there, there are very few times over these last three games and a lot of other dry spells this season where the Oilers have made the penalty killers look disorganized and uncomfortable.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, like they move the puck pretty well out there. Um, and when you let the puck do the work, it's hard for a penalty killer to get in, in the shooting lanes. Um, that's, I mean, for when we teach our guys, it's make sure you're in the shooting lanes first, and then you can start to fan out. But if the puck is moving faster, then you can move. Uh, it's hard to defend that. So the Oilers have been doing a good job of that, but I think they just got to get more pucks on net.
2: Does it? Does it? Does I mean? Does it have to be? Because I had Kelly Rudy on, and he said, you know, he, as a goaltender, he hated knowing that there was a guy with a hammer from the point. And I've I've always argued with this year's Oilers, like they're they're not going to get that. Maybe that's the next thing they acquire, but I don't think they're going to get it in season. So I mean, from your experience, um, like, does a really successful power play need
0: that huge shot to worry the defense or? I think that it's it's definitely a factor. It's definitely something that you want to have, and you have that big shot. It just it goes back to saying that it adds that dynamic uh, presence where everyone's kind of like, all right, this guy's shooting the puck. We need to overplay him, and then everybody else is open. So I think you know having that shot is is pretty beneficial. But when you have a guy like Connor McDavid, I don't. It it's not <laughs> as big of a concern. <laughs> So, if he says, so you
2: would say he needs to start firing away a little bit from the off wing. Yeah, I yeah. would absolutely say that. And then
0: guys cheat out on him, and then everything else potentially opens up. Yeah, because guys are going to start overplaying all the other guys because they know he's going to pass the puck right now. And, you know, if he starts walking in and shooting, well, now somebody's got to pay a little bit more attention to him. And then there's obviously that one extra guy somewhere that's going to be wide open.
2: Yeah. Um, i mean you if through all your pro experience nhl ahl you played in europe and i want to talk about that uh was there a a guy the teammate you had that you just looked at it was like that guy is a power play specialist like he just knows what to do or he knows how to fire
0: it's funny there's two guys actually and they weren't in the nhl one guy was by the name of john aw he was up briefly with me in houston um when that was minnesota's farm team and I think he clocked in at about 109 miles an hour, and his shot, like, he could get that thing off from anywhere, but if it hit the net, it was in. If it didn't, which was more times than not, <laughs> uh, you know, it kind of just rang off the backboards. But, I mean, he was a guy that, you know, a lot of teams feared. Um, and then there's a guy, Magnus Negrin, when I played in Ferriestad, and his shot was, uh, was very accurate, and it was very hard as well. And I think when we came over and played the HL All-Stars a few years back, uh, he clocked in at about 107, so he has a big shot from the point as well.
2: So both slap shot guys then. Oh that, yeah, that every could, time that could just rip it. Sean Bell joining us inside sports on 6:30. Uh, chat. obviously you're busy with Nate, and I want to talk about that. But are you are you watching a lot of uh, NHL, a lot of Oilers?
0: Yeah, we got some time off now, so i have been watching a lot more games. Um, you know, it's it's nice to be able to just sit sit on my couch and watch some games um, and not try to critique everything.
2: Right, right, So I bring you in here and I ask you to to create. Are are you are you able to be, uh, like an Oilers fan as as you know as a guy who grew up in Edmonton? Do you revert back to sort of the the twelve year old version of yourself?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now that I I get time off and I'm not playing, it's you know I'm just a fan of the team and um you know from the time that I was here, I was treated very well and you know I enjoy my time and I love Edmonton. So it's you know I want to see these guys do well and. Um, you know I still have quite a few friends uh, in and around the organization so it's uh, it, for me it's just a fan experience and I just want to be out there and support the team as much as possible
2: yeah, I, I mean you know I talk to fans almost every night and and you know I'm a f- fan myself though it's different for me now being in the media so I, I'm not as, as up and down as a lot of people as an, as an ex player do you hear some of the me- emotional reactions and think to yourself, okay, wait a minute, I, I, I know what the up and downs are like, Like, or how do you perceive what for, I mean look at the Oilers already, five game winning streak, five game losing streak, 16 goals scored in three games, now only five goals scored in three games, do you look at
0: that a little differently? I do, I just think that, you know, the Oilers have, they had a long time of losing, and it's it's a hard cycle to break um, you know, when you get that culture in your dressing room, it's, it's hard to leave um, you know, it's not to say that guys get comfortable in that, um but it's just a hard thing to break. And they've been doing a pretty good job. They're moving forward. They're getting better. Um, you see it uh, in every statistic that they have. They, they are getting better. So, you know, it's a work in progress. And I, and I think the others will be uh, fine in the end.
2: I'm glad you brought up culture because I've often said to people who will call in, especially... I mean, it's, this year's different because I think the team is average, as I've said. But, you know, the first year I did the games, they started 4-15-2. Like, the season's over for a playoff spot a quarter of the way in. Uh, and people would say losing culture and losing culture. And I would say, well, let's let's try and figure out what that is, though. I mean, the, the culture's the end result. Is that, is that just a here we go again? Is it just guys not thinking they can... Win is it just not trusting your buddy or your teammates? What what all goes into that? There's a
0: little bit of everything. I think there's a lot of doubt that goes in your game. You know, you you're up one nothing, two nothing, and then all of a sudden the team comes back, and then you grip your t- your stick a little bit tighter, um, you know, and you don't make those plays where you know you can make those plays, but all of a sudden you're trying not to lose the game as opposed to go out and just play and and win those games. Um, you know, that's something that definitely happens, and it's just a, it's a psychological thing and mental thing and. Um, it's hard to break. Sometimes you you lose that uh, uh, intensity, I guess, because you just you don't want to make that mistake that ends up costing your team the game. Right, and then you know, ironically you often do. And then you do.
2: And that's interesting you put it that way because when they when they beat Colorado last week, which was a comeback from three two down after two, you know, a couple of people called in or texted into Rob and I and said. I wouldn't have watched the third period last year because I wouldn't have thought they had a chance to come back. I don't know if those people feel the same way after a couple <laughs> disappointing outings, but, I mean, that, that there is that that vibe, right, and that calmness that I guess is important to a team. Yeah,
0: like, he brought in some good veterans. You know, Lucic is a very calming presence, and I think McDavid actually just said that uh, earlier this week. Um, that trade for Larson has been very good at stabilizer defense, and Chris Russell is... You know, he's a minute muncher and he blocks a tons of shot a ton of shots. And, you know, you have guys that can kind of stabilize uh, your locker room and, you know, there's always that feeling that, okay, well, if we can keep this thing close, we always can come back and you have a player as dynamic as uh, Connor McDavid and it's, all right, well, get him the puck and there's a chance that, uh, you know, something might happen here.
2: Sean Bell joining us on Inside Sports. Got a text here to 63630. 630 Reid, can you ask Sean to speak about his KC days of dominating with my cousin, Daniel Smith. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that was a long time ago, a very long time ago. But, uh, yeah, those were those were fun times when hockey wasn't so much a business. You could just go out and uh, have some fun out there. Uh, you got
2: drafted uh, f- end of the first round, 30th overall, 2003 by the St.
0: Louis Blues. You were with Tri-City. A um, couple World Junior medals? Yep, a couple uh, gold and a silver. um we ended up, the first one was in Helsinki, Finland. We lost to the Americans where they, they came back and that infamous goal that kind of Mark andre Fleury shot the puck off of Coburn's face and in the net and I think that was a game winner. And then the next year we were all business and went into Grand Forks and uh, kind of steamrolled everybody.
2: What was that like to be on a Canadian World Junior team that didn't win goal because there's such insane I mean I almost think it's excessive insane hype around that tournament
0: you know it was the first time I really got to see the exposure because when I'm playing down Tri-Cities we don't have that kind of media coverage um, but in Canada it doesn't matter you know if you're in the CIS you're in the ACAC you're in the WHL like there's always some form of exposure towards hockey and you know when we got back off the plane and we were walking through the airport, it was Toronto Airport, we were looking at papers and it was like, you know, this year's team's a disappointment and, you know, they they can't get it done. And you're just, you're 17 years old, you're 18 years old and you're like, well, you know, we had the game, but, you know, there's two teams out there. Like, we wanted to win, but they had a good team as well. And that's why they're in that position. And, you know, it was just, it was a game that went back and forth and there's unfortunate bounces sometimes.
2: Yeah. Uh, and then obviously the team in 05, uh, Cross. You guys didn't come close to losing a game that year, did you? No, we
0: were, we were definitely on a mission that year. We, we felt that we should have won the year before. And, you know, we had guys come in that were that were hungry and ready to go. And um, we were definitely full of depth that year.
2: Yeah. Sean Bell joining us. So Your playing career, I mean, you referenced a couple stops in the AHL. Uh, you played some games for the Canadians, uh, for the Oilers, for the Avalanche and then tell me about the decision to go over to uh to to europe was that was that was that a tough decision was it uh based on maybe having a life experience too what 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 led you there
0: it was after my last year uh with the oilers and i got traded to colorado at the deadline um you know i felt it was a pretty good season for me um i was a little frustrated by not being able to re-sign in colorado that that summer but um you know i was skating i think it was like september 6th and i was at Kingsman uh arena skating with Dustin Cohn and Ben Andres and it was just the three of us out there and we both kind of just we all looked at each other when we were in the dressing room we We're like we need to get playing here and we don't want to just wait anymore because um, there's been a lot of guys that were left without contracts and um you know evidently my agent called later that day and was like I have a lead in Germany would you be interested in going and I was like, well, I guess so. Um, I just found out I needed a little bit more information and found out there's some actually some NHL players that were there and um, some really good ex pro guys. Uh, Freddie Brathwaite was there who right. you know we became pretty good friends and Craig McDonald guys that were kind of on the bubble and um, you know just looking for a fresh start and I went over there and it was fantastic.
2: Would you describe it as a, a well how different would you describe the style of hockey if at all?
0: You know, the ice is bigger, so you have more room to maneuver, um, more skill. Like, I I wouldn't say there's more skill out there, but I would say that, you know, the skill game takes over. There's not as many fights, there's not as many big checks. They call, you know, headshots very tightly. They call body checking very tightly. (laughs) So you just go out and play, and you try to let your skill... uh, do the talking for you.
2: Sean Bell is in studio. Can you stick around? Because I want to find out what's going on with Nate as well. You're, yeah, Because you've absolutely. gotten into coaching. Sean Bell, former first-round draft pick, former Edmonton Oilers. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Cam Talbot. This is Arthur Plefbaum.
3: This is
1: Zach Kassian. This is Ryan Neugent Hopkins. This is Connor McDavid from your Edmonton Oilers. Help bring Christmas to those who might otherwise go without. Please support 630 Chad Santa's Anonymous.
2: It's already 2-0 for the Flames leading the Maple Leafs. The game is less than six minutes old. Hamilton, uh, Freddie Hamilton, and Christopher Stieg scoring both in the first minute of the game. Also, the Islanders lead the Penguins 1-0. That is after 1. Still to come, the Sharks meet the Kings. Your scoreboard courtesy of Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, visit crystalglass.ca. Former NHL defenseman, former first-round draft pick Sean Bell is in studio. Sean, uh, thanks for catching up. and uh, uh, We'll have to do this again some night, but let's talk about what you're doing now. And uh, associate coach with the Nate men's team.
0: Yep, that's correct. Uh, now with uh, the Nate Oaks, I was in Sherrod Park for a year uh, after I retired and you know I had a good time there. and then the, the coach that was the previous head coach moved on and you know, asked if I would uh, wanted to come over and I was like, absolutely.
2: Was it uh, was it a no-brainer for you to get into coaching once the playing days were done, or, or how how did you what did you think about going into coaching
0: next? I think my my last stop in Dusseldorf, Germany, I started to you know study video a little bit more, uh, started to make some plays and try to help out the coaches because they're relatively new to the game. Um, and then I just kind of found out that I enjoyed doing that stuff and you know I've always come back here and tried to help out at Vimy Ridge or whatever hockey school I can so I think it was just a natural fit for me
2: all right I know I did some a couple segments on the Nate men's team last year because they went undefeated so have you guys kept it going this year
0: No unfortunately we got to 38 <laughs> so in a row. the
2: season's already a failure Sean. <laughs>
0: Yeah, pretty much. It was actually nice. I was, I was hoping we would have lost our first game and then made not made That nobody streak. would be talking yeah, about exactly. it. exactly. Yeah. But we got to 38 and then we, uh, we lost to Grant McHugh and they played uh, two really good games. Um, they've definitely improved their team from last year. So, uh, you know, our team's got a big target on their back and we've had 15 new players come through this year. So um, I think they now understand the challenge and that they are a marked team and everybody wants a gun for them. What do you like most about coaching? Uh, I like the fact that it keeps you in the game. Um, I, I like that I'm able to give back to the younger guys and hopefully they can see or, or be able to, you know, see do the same things that I was able to, um, and that was afforded through hockey. So, um, you know, for me, it's just all about giving back. Uh,
2: the ACAC, uh, I mean, I... I... I mean, I went to Nate a long time ago, but I used to—we'd go and just do play-by-play that no one would listen to on the Nate uh, radio station. They had a lot of guys out of the AJHL. Is it still made up of former Junior A guys, or where are the players coming from?
0: Uh, it's mostly uh, Junior A guys. There's a few guys on teams that are that have played pro. Uh, Brett Ponich was—I think he's a second rounder with St. Louis. Um, he played for six years and then he decided to uh, quit and come back to school. A guy on our team, Ty Jaworski, played in the East Coast. So there's a few old pros, mostly A.J., and then, you know, you can sprinkle in the odd WHL guy.
2: Okay, so a pretty wide age range then, too.
0: That must be interesting. It is. It's a different dynamic, and I I think you want most of your team to be within the same uh, age range so that they can kind of grow together by that fourth or fifth year. uh, You have a powerhouse, and that's kind of what happened last year. They just grew together, and they always added peace uh, every single year. Um, So we're kind of in that same model right now. But, you know, obviously, you know, Grant Max got uh, better funding and they're really trying to push the pace now. And same with Augustan. And there's a few teams that are really good.
2: All right. So a bit of a break now for college hockey,
0: obviously, with the semester ending. Yeah, we've got six weeks off. Oh, uh, wow. Just the way with Keanu dropping out last last minute, uh, our bye week uh, ended up being right at this time. So now we don't play until December 28th. Okay. Um,
2: can you give me maybe, a, you, can, you, you want, is there a coach from your minor hockey days you want to give a shout out to that really steered you in the right direction or had an influence on you? Oh, I
0: don't know if I should say anybody because then they'll all be offended if so I do So all of them. Anybody, <laughs> all of coach them were Sean, great. Sean before you went to junior? <laughs> you or, guys were all great. Were you
2: Knights of Columbus all the way?
0: Uh, I was in Millwoods up until my first year Peewee and then I switched over to KC and didn't look back after that.
2: Uh, uh, what about at the pro level? Was there somebody that really uh, helped you take a step or kept you, you going? Well, I
0: thought uh, Guy Boucher, uh, Tim Fragel, laughed because I talk about him quite a bit. But Guy Boucher was awesome. I had uh, I have nothing but good things to say about him. Is you know also Rob Dom. I thought he was. Uh, I thought he helped me in my first couple of years uh, quite a bit, and unfortunately he got let go in Houston, but uh, he definitely helped me in my first year. He won a few games with the U of A, didn't he? Yeah, he did. A nice record there.
2: <laughs> All right, uh, we started off with the Oilers talk. We'll, let, we'll end with an Oilers question here with Sean Bell. Winnipeg tomorrow, you're going you're to be watching. I mean, we talk a lot about starts of games, starts of games. What do you want to see from the Oilers in the first five minutes? I mean, there's probably things you noticed
0: as a former player that maybe stand out more than to other people. Uh, I think I'd just like to see them set their pace, you know, like not wait. Because um, the Oilers have some fast players, and I think that when they're skating and they're moving pucks fast that they're a hard team to handle. Um, and sometimes they kind of just wait and they, they want to see what the other team's going to do. I, for me, I would just like to see them get out to a hot start and, you know, just keep coming in waves.
2: Totally agree initiate right absolutely that's what people always say you got to have pushback i always say i prefer push first yeah just go up there and do it exactly sean thanks so much for coming we're going to do this again keep in touch absolutely. oh and uh just nate men's hockey
0: on twitter people yeah. can just look that nate up nate men's and follow hockey on twitter or the nate Oaks on twitter right
2: on sean bell joining us inside sports on 6 30 chet we're coming up to the seven o'clock news Talk a little more Oilers in the uh, second hour of the show. Kevin Carius from Global will make his weekly appearance. Oh, and a uh, young man by the name of Henry Burris will be on the show as well. Apparently he won some kind of an award. They won some kind of a tournament over the weekend. We'll see what that was all about.
1: 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.